In his letter to the Ecclesias in Galatia, Paul has shared with them that the path of life is in faith in Jesus alone. Jesus alone, no additives, no subtractions. That leaves a pretty big elephant in the room for the Jewish side of the community. Uh, what is the law for then? Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview in the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair their biblical worldview. Whether you are 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Egan. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Paul will explain the purpose of the law of God to the ancient Israelites. When we say law, some people think of laws like Sabbath observance and feast days. Others think of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law of Moses. Paul's general meaning for the law is the first, the laws of observance. If we were dead to the Torah, that would mean that we're no longer related to creation, the flood, the exodus, etc. And that doesn't seem to be the case. And proof of this is Paul using Abraham as his example, whose entire story is found in the Torah. That would be a weird example to use if you were explaining that you were dead to him. So what role does the law, observance laws, have in a believer's life? A follower of Jesus who followed that law? This is a big question because the, the Jewish side of the community in the ecclesias of Galatia, they have followed this law religiously their entire lives. Meanwhile, their Gentile brothers aren't. How can there be unity and what is the path forward? What is the law for? So think about when you were a kid. Did you have parents or guardians? I think we all had some sort of guardian and guardians made rules for us to live by. And we liked some of them and we hated others, but none of us had the same exact set of rules, even if we had the same parents. No wonder we all grew up to be very different thinking adults. Okay, so how did you react to those rules as a kid? What if, back then, your parents created an irrevocable trust agreement? You're asked to sign a legal paper that they promise a certain inheritance. And once the paper of trust is signed, it cannot be annulled or changed. They would then share the house rules with you, but you would know that your inheritance is not based off your obedience. That would demonstrate your parents' generous, unconditional love for you and really merciful grace. And that would be pretty great, right? It would make you feel safe and maybe even more loyal to your parents' wishes. In Galatians 3, 15 to 18, Paul uses a similar legal language to explain the nature of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, that was a specific covenant Yahweh made between himself and Abraham that he would be given a large family, a large land allotment, and all the world would be blessed through him. Galatians 3, 15 to 18. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. 
It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Hmm. His everyday example is that if you and I make a covenant or a promise, it stands as stated. It's not annulled or added to if we make further promises or agreements. And thinking in legal terms of an irrevocable trust agreement, the beneficiary of the trust of the promise is Abraham and his descendants, even Jesus. The date of the trust preceded the law by 430 years, so following or breaking the laws or rules of Yahweh did not impact the earlier promises. And we can see that Israel faced dark consequences for breaking the laws, but they never could touch the original promise to Abraham in order to destroy it too. God held his end of that promise. Now, if you remember, Paul has already contradicted Israel's view of the family of Abraham by saying it was those who believed, not those who were born into a genetic line. Here, Paul contradicts Israel's view by making offspring into a singular offspring, Jesus, right? Offsprings into offspring. The object of our faith is the offspring, singular, Jesus. And Paul went about this using Jewish exegesis, which is a creative move. It is not necessary to be Jewish or law-following to receive the promises. It is necessary to be in Christ. In the case of an irrevocable trust agreement, subsequent documents cannot overturn the terms of the original agreement. The trust agreement went active before the law in this example. If the law had the same start date, then its information would have been included. But as it is, they are separate agreements. The law of Yahweh asked for behavior, and they received blessings if they obeyed and curses if they disobeyed. It was a brutal ancient Near Eastern vassal treaty. The Abrahamic covenant is just Yahweh's promises. It's all on him. We just trust him to enter into it. So the law is conditional. The promise is unconditional. The promised inheritance cannot be received as a payment for keeping the law either. They're not connected in this way. Now, do we desire to be paid wages for being good? Yes, and our corporate world functions on bonuses for excellence. This promise to Abraham doesn't work like a quarterly bonus. Yahweh is not checking our goals and awarding strong metrics. He's not our vending machine either. He just gives. It's not capitalism. All right. Galatians 3.19a asked the question, why then the law? It's a great question and it's relevant to believers today. Let's continue. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. 
For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The law was added because people were going to be a hot mess all the way until Jesus arrived, and Yahweh was trying to protect a people that he could be born out of. At least that is one of three common interpretations and the one that makes the most sense to me. The messengers of Yahweh got the law to Moses, who was an intermediary of the people. And this law that was given to Moses was not in conflict with the original promise. It didn't get in the way in the slightest. This law also wasn't the means to the promise. So it isn't a means to life or righteousness. These were two things that would be given to those who believe in Jesus. Before our faith in Jesus, before Jesus' advent, the people of Israel and other God-fearers were subject to the law of Yahweh, imprisoned, in bondage to those rules. But Paul explains that this was always temporary. It was in place to lead to Jesus. So once Jesus had fulfilled it, the original promises is coming forth from our faith in him. And then the law is over. It served as a parental guardian until Jesus arrived. And this parental guardian was good and helpful. A little overbearing, but their service is over. And some key points that Paul made here about the law, it had a specific purpose, but that purpose was negative, And I will explain that in a second. It didn't make anyone righteous. It was not an act of faith, and it was not associated with the promised inheritance. So if the law is divorced of righteousness, faith, and inheritance, to what does it relate? The law is related to transgressions. It was to create order and chaos. Order also allows measurement. Before the law, there were transgressions, but it couldn't exactly be measured. Imagine if your state had many traffic accidents, but they had no traffic laws. Although people are living dangerously, it would be difficult to designate which acts are more harmful until there is a book of laws. The function of traffic laws is to allow bad drivers to be identified and prosecuted. The law worked like that. And the law was added to the offspring to whom the promise referred had come. The word added lets us know that the law was not a central theme in Yahweh's redemptive plan. It was secondary to the enduring promise covenant with Abraham. Added marks a starting point for the law and until marks its end point. Paul is big on the temporal framework of the law. Jesus is eternal, not the law. So by faith, the Galatian Christians have already entered into experience of the Holy Spirit of Yahweh, which was the fulfillment of the promise. Now they are being persuaded that extra acts of observance would bring them a richer God experience. This only takes them out of trust and into self-help. It takes them off the road of trust and places them on the treadmill of attempted pleasing without trust. In the 
ecclesia of Galatia, the law was supplanting the central place of Christ. Now, Paul poses a contrary-to-fact hypothesis. If a law has been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have certainly come by the law. Now, he does not think for a moment that the law can impart life. So if the law can't impart life, it isn't positive, it's negative. If the law was positive, then it would be directly opposed to the promise fulfilled in Jesus. There would be two ways to the promise. There is an absolute contradiction in believing in Jesus and his work for life and believing and keeping the law for life. The law is negative. It condemns everyone who attempts it, save Jesus. It didn't matter if you were born into Abraham's family or not. You weren't going to fulfill the law. You had no special advantage. Yahweh didn't leave the world there, though. He gave us Jesus, the fulfiller of the law, and the object of our faith that unlocks the promised blessing no matter who you descended from or what laws you have violated. The law was the guardian, and the guardian is retired. It was not a permanent standard for all time. It was a temporary system in an ancient Near Eastern framework to protect a people so that Jesus could come forth. Now, I've been indicating parents or parental guardians, but the word guardian here is pedagogue, which means a leader of children, often associated with teachers. The law was our substitute teacher or a tutor, and now the real teacher is here for us to follow. So why the law? Paul says it gives guide rails to the transgressions of the people until the promised one could come forth. Now, some will say the law is our eternal moral code, and it should be posted in public offices around the country. Not so much. Some will say the law creates in us a sense of moral guilt. Maybe. But it isn't for your measurement, so you don't have to feel that way. In Jesus, we find life. And he asks that we trust him. And we follow him. This is an easier yoke than the law. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed and probably rethinking the role of the law in our lives. Is it for you? No. Was it for you? No. Did it have a purpose? Yes. Was the purpose fulfilled? Yes. Well, what do I do now? Should I sin more so that grace might increase? No. Follow Jesus. His way is the way. The law is used by so many in our churches to kill and judge. But Jesus' gospel of grace is used to make people alive. Which one are you sharing with the others around you? Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, are we really free?